It's my pleasure to, uh, <clears throat> to welcome Richard Shankman. Many of you know him. He's been practicing longer than some of us have been alive. <laughs> Not me. Uh, he's involved in the Sati Center operations, and he's recently returned from an 11-month retreat at IMS. So, welcome, Richard. And those of you who have uh, sat long retreats, I know there's a number of people here who who have. Uh, Sometimes what can happen, you know that sometimes when you come out because you're in silence, the, um, uh, the connection between the concepts and the thoughts and, and expressing it and talking or writing, it just it gets scrambled up a, a bit. And it takes a while to start um, working. <laughs> can you hear? You know, usually I, I can talk loud enough without the mic, but, you know, it's... No, that's fine. Okay, okay. So, um, I just say that because, um, you know, there's many styles people, you probably see people come and do Dharma talks. You know, the, the monastic style in general is people don't really write out notes much. They just kind of let what's, the ideas, what needs to be said will just kind of present itself. And, the, and that I tend to work in that style, but other people tend to really write out. Some, some even every word will write out or make a few notes. I was just noticing that because, um, you know, my, unlike my style, I ended up writing like a lot for me. Because I was noticing I was feeling pretty... Uh, so I have a talk here, which we may get to, but I was feeling... Um, <laughs> well, I say that, I was feeling... I think it's actually an interesting place to look. Because I was feeling kind of shaky, not not nervous, but just I didn't know. I just haven't been talking, and so I felt like, oh, I needed to have this. You know, I needed this. And um, I thought that was an interesting place just to look at. Well, what is that like? I need this, and part I think is, of course, you want to use the time well and say something hopefully is uh, useful and. You know, we're not just wasting the time and be respectful of, of coming to, you know, talk about the Dharma. But I think all of our motivations, there's no real pure motivation. I don't think there's really such a thing. And so it's mixed with that wanting to be respectful with also that wanting to, like, not screw it up and, you know, be okay. And, and, and that's... Um, I think the interesting place to look at that self-referential place, right? That place of, I need whatever. Which is what's talked about so much in the Dharma teachings is really in one way, it's talked about as actually summing up all the Dharma teachings because it goes right to the core of the place where we get into trouble. You know, that I is a trouble, the want or need is a trouble, you know, and you put together I need and you're in big trouble. And I actually want to say something that I really bumped up against that uh, in just coming off of retreat was it was very uh, clear to me. 
Because, you know, we, uh, one model for uh, one way that the opening to liberation is talked about that can happen is you, that you can have insights into these three characteristics of, of reality that's talked about a lot. So you can see that you start to see more deeply that um, there's the, the, what we take to be solid and real is actually not so solid and permanent and real. So you start to see into impermanence more. And you start to see into that reality of dukkha and suffering more. And then you start to see into the selfless, empty nature of all phenomena, including the self-born. So that can actually happen, you know, on retreats. So you can have a real experience pretty directly into that selfless nature. But then you come out of retreat and, you know, it doesn't take much because the conditioning is so deep in us. And it goes back for, well, if you believe in the Buddhist cosmology, which is not necessary to believe in. But if you do, you know, countless lifetimes. But we can just look into this own life of of how many moments of just reinforcing that sense of the self, right, that we all have. So, you know, you just go off and sit for a few months or a year or whatever. You know, you're not just, you don't come out and, it's, and be done, right? And all it takes is the right causes and conditions to come together, like, oh, you're going to come give the Dharma talk. And it all just solidifies right back like that. Right? So I think, first of all, I just want to say I really think we need to take a long-term perspective on our practice. And just to know that, you know, we're just in this process that's going to take (laughs) years or I don't, once again, you know, maybe it's lifetimes, whatever, but that we don't have to worry about that. All we need to do is show up the best we can moment to moment and just do our peace just in that moment. Right. Knowing that we're going to get caught over and over a million times. In the times when we're caught, we're just going to be caught and we're going to suffer in those times, right? That's the, it won't be the first time we've suffered. It won't be the last time. And so we don't need to make a big uh, deal about it just to know that we're going to get caught. And so we have to bring in also with that long-term perspective, I think, a lot of compassion. That's one thing I've really always thought was important, but I really came in touch with it in this long retreat because I'd never sat this long before. Um, And just to see, even despite our best efforts, we're really sincere, we're trying, we want to do the right thing. We don't want to suffer. Really, that's almost, if you think about it, our whole, everything we do in life is almost geared just in that one way, right? Just to make it so we're okay. We're trying to live our lives in a way so that we're, uh, whatever, whatever we think that is for us, maybe we have to have the right social situation or relationship or job or financial situation. Or Basically, we want to, it's the basic dharma that we hear over and over. We want to uh, minimize unpleasantness and we want to maximize pleasant feelings or sensations, right? And we hear the teaching we think we would know over and over. Both happiness and unhappiness are going to come and go. 
you know, as they say, as sure as the sun rises, happiness is going to come. As sure as night comes, unhappiness is going to come. They all are just coming and going. But we completely forget, right, when we're caught in the suffering and the unhappiness, it's just, we just condense right around, contract right around it. See, we don't need the Buddha to tell us about suffering or any teachers to tell us. We are all experts, right? We know all about it. But what we're not experts in is uh, what to do to alleviate the suffering. In fact, um, uh, I would suggest that we're you know, quite ignorant because we tend to be in that reaction, right? When difficulties come, we're trying to just, we're just, we don't even know because we're asleep so much, we just push it away, you know, whatever it is. And we, we become complacent when times are good. We think, oh, this is great. You know, I saw this, and many of you know this from retreats, right? But that during the times when, wow, the, just, you're just deep in the samadhi and, you know, all, it's just really cracking open, whatever that is for you. It just, it's really happening, and the, the, there's ease in the body. Maybe it's blissful. Uh, there's many things we could talk about about meditative states. Um, we think, I, I'll say we, I tend to think, this is great. It's really happening now. This retreat is really going great. And I remember times, um, and it was going great. And then, you know, I get up from this fantastic sit. I go off and eat lunch. I come back and I sit down. And it just falls apart. Just a few hours later. For no apparent reason, right? Because things change. And then I'm all in a struggle. What happened to my samadhi? You know, you think I would know right there, right there, my samadhi. I'm already in trouble. (laughs) Rather than just showing up in the moment, with whatever is present and knowing that my job is just to bring the mindfulness right in to whatever's happening. It doesn't matter what the experience is at all. What matters is what's the relationship I'm having with whatever experience is arising. Just by making that shift, then we don't have to push anything away or we don't have to cling on to anything. We just have to show up the best we can and just that's the, the whole job is just to be mindful of whatever's going on. That's it. Out of that, the samadhi, the samadhi, probably most people know, but I should say, in case there's some people who don't know the term, we generally take it to mean concentration. It's actually a lot more than concentration. It's, it's a, um, it's a place of really unification. Well, I'm pulling my hands together like this, I notice as I'm talking about it. It's a place where the mind comes together unifies, it's hard to describe, but it, it, and there's a, there's a deep stillness and a concentration. So that's what we talk about when we, the samadhi. As it needs to come, it will come just by bringing to the, to the mindfulness. You can get all the samadhi that's needed 
Whatever meditative states, they're all going to come. But if we're clinging on to them, we're in big trouble. Because it's not about getting any state. When I showed up at, uh, so I was sitting at the Forest Refuge. Uh, when I first showed up, the longest I'd ever sought before was maybe three months. And that still is a good amount of practice. So, you know, I was going to be here. Wow, I'm going to go do this like one year. And it's going to be, I had it all planned out. And I had a long mental list of what, I'm going to get this and then this, and it's going to be great, and then this is going to happen. And it was a whole list. I know better than that. But I just fell right into the trap. And so about within about a month, you know, I was talking, I was working with Joseph, Joseph Goldstein there, and he said to me, well, you know, it's not just like I'm saying to you. Well, it's not about getting any particular experience or any state. It's about the letting go and the deepening, the non-identification and just and then letting go. And I said something back to him like, well, yes, of course, that's true. But in order to realize that, I've got to get, in order to realize that fact, I've got to get blah, 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 blah. So I just suffered tremendously in the first few months of the, of the retreat, worrying about how the practice was going. It was going great. It was going fine. But it wasn't quite on my mental list. This was supposed to be happening. God, I've been, you know, I'd been to retreats before within five weeks, and I was starting to get into some absorptions. And, you know, so I thought, well, you know, hey, and that's pretty fast. You know, great. This is, that wasn't happening. No jhana. <laughs> I was suffering. <laughs> it took months to finally, once everything's, and look, it's, it doesn't matter whether you get John or not, you know, it, none of that stuff matters. What's needed comes. And it took me four or five months to really get that. That was about the time when that, which can lead to a deeper letting go when things can start to open on a whole other level, when we're not so contracted and tense about what we're getting and not getting. That's what actually allows what needs to open to really uh, reveal itself. And, you know, the retreat went fine. It was great. But it took a lot of suffering. If, you know, I could have saved myself a lot of suffering if I had just known that it knows how to open. The Dharma knows, right? Ajahn Chah uses this great example of growing a plant. I think he uses an example of a chili, you know, growing a little chili bush or plant. You know, our job is you plant the seed and you water it and you protect the plant. That's your end of the bargain. You can't make it grow faster than it's going to grow. It's ridiculous, right? It knows what to do. Your job is just to put in the water and the seed and protect it. You can't, and he says, I love it, he says, you can't go stretching on the leaves expecting them to grow faster. And when flowers come, you can't go pulling on them expecting chili peppers to pop out. And he says, what we want to do is, you know, because when we, when we come to meditate, we want peace, whatever, everybody, you know, stillness, insights, liberation, bliss, whatever it is you want. And we, we come to meditate, we want it all in one day, Right? We want the plant to grow, flower, and produce chilies in one day. 
when we see what our peace is, it opens up, just a real relaxation happens. And there's really an element of faith and trust there. And it helps once you actually see that you can't make anything happen anyway. Right? I, I think what can tend to happen is when we look at some of the, relig- the traditional religions that are theist- theistic religions like you know, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, or whatever. And if, if I'm, I don't know a lot about these religions, so please excuse me if I, don't, I might say this a little wrong, but my sense is, is that, there's a, that you know, a lot of the pow- there's a faith in, say, God, and then the salvation is really a grace that comes from a, a holy other power. So if I didn't say that right, just... But you get the idea that I'm saying. And then what we can think of sometimes in, 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 a, in a tradition like Buddhism is I think there can be an air of superiority that can creep in if we're not careful because, well, in, you know, in Buddhism... We're, we do this practice, we take responsibility for our own lives, for our own experience, and then we develop direct, it's not faith-based anymore, you know, we have a direct opening or direct knowledge. That's the liberation that comes through that into the real nature of truth and reality. But wait a minute, you have to step back for a moment and realize that we cannot make anything happen either. I don't know that we're saying there's a grace that has to come from God necessarily. Maybe we wouldn't talk like that. But anyone who's done much meditation practice, and I can tell you from my own experiences, is that you can't make it happen. You go on these long retreats. You're in silence. The environment is just utterly still. The silence is it's palpable. Everything is geared to support the deepening of the concentration and the mindfulness and deepening of the meditation. And all you do all day long is alternating sitting and walking practice and cultivating the concentration. You know, if ever there was a time when you could make it happen, it would be a situation like that, but you can't. All you're doing is creating the supportive conditions for it to, uh, the practice to unfold in its own way. Right? That's all we're ever doing. We're, we're, we're um, strengthening supportive conditions. It, it connects into the whole uh, concept of dependent origination and, and conditionality. Right? You can't actually make it happen. So um, once we realize that for ourselves and you actually see it directly, that letting go happens automatically. You don't have to worry anymore. And that's the place where the equanimity comes in very deep. So then whatever's happening, you're resting in that place that's actually underneath all of it. So we see the happiness, the unhappiness coming and going, and we don't get caught up by any of it. But you're resting in that deeper peace or that deeper knowing, if whatever words we want to use. Pleasant, unpleasant comes. And because the awareness and the seeing gets stronger, you don't have to remember to let go. It's just happening on its own, right? But until we see it, we need to remember about the core concept of everything comes back just to non-clinging. 
or non-identification, regardless of what the experience is. As long as the experience is within the range of what we can work with, because, of course, if experience gets too strong, right, if the pain's too strong, well, we're not going to be able to work with it then. And we really do need to do something to alleviate it or lessen it because it's too much for us. But as long as it's within the range of what we can work with then, we don't need to worry about what the experience is anymore. Matter of fact, a great shift that can happen is, is when uh, the, the clarity can come strong enough where you just see, see the mind at work, you can see the unpleasant, unpleasant, pleasant arising, and you're actually just watching the whole process unfold, including the reaction of the mind, the wanting to pull away, and we don't get caught up in it. And so what happens when the difficulty comes, we can actually, instead of, you know, oh my God, you know, whatever, we can just, I, I found it useful just to use a real simple phrase. I would just say, oh, it's just dukkha. And somehow just saying that, it's just dukkha, helped me in a level of... Um, just recognition, but also um, actually an interest there because one of the characteristics of existence is dukkha. It's a, the insight into that is considered a gateway into, it's not about having the insight, but as a, a gateway into letting go and to the deeper liberation that can happen. So we say we want to have insight into dukkha, but we don't want to experience, you know, how do you learn something? You have to come to know it, right? So we say we want insight into dukkha, into suffering, but we don't want to suffer. We don't want to actually experience the dukkha. So when the difficulties arise, it's actually a great opportunity. Not only do we not have to push it away, but we should actually right there turn it, come to know the feeling. Feel the pain of it. Just let it burn that's another, uh, I think, real gift of the long-term retreats is, you know, even if you go, if, if you've never sat, say, even a 10-day retreat, that probably seems like a long time. But as you sit more, you know, your, what seems long continues to move out. So you can go sit a month, a couple of months, and you can do it on your own willpower. It's still short enough that even if it gets really bad, you can make it. One of the things I found going to sit for this long was is that you can't, you can't make it on your own. It's too much. You can't get out there on your own ego or willpower. My first day coming, this place is where I was, I don't know if you mentioned, it's the Forest Refuge, which is this new place that's open. Many of you probably know of it at IMS. And I was, I've set lots of retreats and I was pretty nervous just to go for this long. And I showed up in the evening and just walking into place feels so great. And I just went, oh, and I just felt so great. And I thought, oh, okay, I can do this. And I was so excited. I can't believe it. I'm actually here. And this is this big retreat. And I went to sleep and I got up the next morning and it was going to be great. And then the first day I I just got hit by this despair and depression, just seeing the, it's not even the first day in this year, just looming out. And I just thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I literally just, just lay on the bed and sobbed my first day. It was too much. 
you know. And of course, you don't take it in a chunk of a year. You just take it in one day, one sit, and you just keep going, right? And you don't, you don't look at it, but, but it was just too much to see. But the beauty that I came to discover, even maybe more than cultivating meditative states or whatever, is actually the level of letting go that's required because it's so much and there's, nothing, there's no, nowhere to go to get away. So when a difficulty comes, you're really forced right there to confront it. It's really so immediate. Because in normal life, and it was funny because my mother, um, of course, was giving me a hard time through the whole year, you know, and what are you running away from in life? And, you know, and all of that. And, you know, I, you know, I used to just laugh to myself because in a sense, I guess you could think of it as running away in, a, in one sense. But, you know, retreats, there's another level where, you know, in normal life, it's so easy to run away, right? When a difficulty comes, and I do this all the time, you just, whatever, turn on the TV or go see a movie or do something with friends or, you know, what, you know eat or whatever we do to distract ourselves. It's all taken away. There is really nothing to do. You're just forced right into just letting go into that experience. So I also thought that was just a real, um, you know, just unforeseen power that I hadn't realized. Uh, So I realize I am kind of just all over the place here and I... Um, I'm going to just take a look here because I actually had a few things I wanted to. Um, Well. (laughs) So. (laughs) Maybe the thing to do. um, I think maybe that's all I would say. And we have some time. Maybe we could just open it up if anyone either had comments or if you have a question. It doesn't have to be our retreats, but just Dharma questions or anything. Richard, I just want to welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Good to have you back. Thank you. We'd like to use the mic. Um, so if you have a question, we'll pass it to you. Yeah. Can everybody hear this okay? Yeah. Okay, you have to kind of hold it close. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Question: When you were experiencing depression, um, you just sobbed, and did you talk to anyone, or you did? No, you're just. I'm just nodding that I'm. I'm sorry. I tend to do that Um, when I'm listening to someone. I'm kind of like. I was wondering how. That just means I hear what you're. (laughs) Yeah. Just how did I deal with it? Yeah. How you came to equanimity or understanding? I can say something about that, but first I want to say, you know. Of course, everyone is different. And I happen to know from talking to some of the teachers, there are definitely people who would go into retreats and, you know, you'd sit outside and you don't want to listen in on people and you're not. But you can just sometimes you can't hear the words. But when you're waiting to go in for your interviews, there were interviews a couple of times a week. You could hear just not the words, but if they were sobbing, for example, and you know there were people coming in just breaking down, falling apart and everything. And that happened to me a few times, too, and everything. People interviewed differently. So I'm sure there are plenty of people who would go and talk with the teachers. You know, that happened, I guess, a little bit for me. I wasn't 
it was fine to do that. But the way I worked with it, it depended on what was going on. For me, and I think this is common for people, early in the retreat, what happened, tends to happen to me is I get ultra, ultra sensitive. And I know that's real common for people. You know, if, if you know, they change the bulletin board around, I was, or, if, you know, you're, I'm, I'm actually not exaggerating. I wasn't trying to, or there would be people because you're there and there's not that many people. You've come to, you get a sense of family. And then, especially in the early months, someone would leave who I didn't even know. And uh, God, I actually, it's interesting, emotions actually coming up now, just telling you about it. Just because it was so painful, it just shook everything. I don't know really what that was about, but somehow, just maybe it's because you're so shaky yourself, I don't know. So in the early stages, it was, a diff- it was different. What was interesting that I had going this long since it was the first time I'd gone this long, I actually, and I don't know if this happens to everyone, but I actually popped out through and got to a place where even though it was deepening even more, but I didn't feel sensitive at all anymore because the equanimity had gotten strong enough and the, the stability of the, the inner, that still place. So when at that point it was all different, you didn't really need to work it out because whatever was going on was just more, it's kind of like in Ram Dass's book, Grist for the Mill. It was all just good dharma. And it shifted, the relationship shifted. So when the pain came, I actually got to a place where I was actually, more than anything, not so interested in when whatever it's pleasant or blissful or whatever, but really interested in the place when there was an unpleasant and the mind was tending to push away and couldn't be there. To really explore deeply that process and to feel the pain of it, because you, but you, you need to ha- have enough stability so you don't get lost in it to do that. So it's all a question of what's skillful. If you're not in a place like that, then you need to find what is needed. So sometimes you might still be able to work with it on your own, or you may need to go get help and talk to someone. And so it's just whatever, you have to kind of you know, find your own way. Does that help no, answer I your question? what you did. So in the beginning, um, I cried a lot in the beginning. Um, you know, I'd have days where it'd be great, and actually, as and that's my that's my own pattern when I tend to go on retreats in the very early part. A lot of my inner personal stuff or difficulties tends to come roaring up. That's not true for everyone, and so I know that that happens here. And so usually, in a ten-day retreat, it might be the first day. In a three-month retreat, it might be first two or three weeks. In this retreat, maybe the first three months. <laughs> Not all the time every day, but maybe three times a week, I might spend half a day in, with a lot of depression, maybe. You know. And so that's just... You know, you have to be careful because on the one hand, you could just say, well, the practice there is to be depressed, Right? That's what is actually occurring in the moment. If you can do it without getting lost by it. But that's not always the right answer. So for me, sometimes that was the answer. You just feel the feelings of being depressed. Notice the thoughts that come with it. You don't have to get lost in it. You can just totally have a strong mindfulness in relationship to the experience. But you still totally feel it like you're not pulled back or removed from it. So it's still very painful. It takes a long time, to, I think, to see that personal difficulties are 
or empty or an impersonal rising, just like a, an itch or a breath. I mean, really, the sense of self itself is even an empty, impersonal rising. It is an experience that we call a sense of self. Even that can be seen. It's all equally empty. Actually, I said to one of the teachers once, I walked in, and I was really having a hard time, and I just went, you know, I'd rather ex- contemplate the emptiness of happiness than the emptiness of despair. And I don't know, it just came out of my mouth. And the teacher just said, welcome to the club. <laughs> you know, it probably, who knows how long it takes to get to the point where really there's just no preference to, it's all just, you know, it just gets subtler and subtler. Anyway. Hi, Fiona. Um, I'm wondering how um, you're talking, because leaving retreat can be bumpy, you know? Right. Even just, just like the, the function of talking or not talking. And, and um, I guess my question is about um, those point, those, that sense of equanimity where, where whatever can come, can come and you can be there. Do the teachers help you, or how are you looking at that sense of equanimity now that there's all this interaction now when you're back? Yeah. You're not on retreat anymore. No, that's really great, and um, it's a place I'm actually very, very interested in because I, for probably most or all of us, and certainly for myself, I'm not spending my whole life in retreat mode. The vast majority of my life is, is in the daily life mode. So actually, that's the place I'm mostly interested in. And so I've been looking into that and it has been quite bumpy for me coming out and actually I have some things going in my life where I haven't actually been able to ha- and have the luxury of even much just very easy, calm downtime. <laughs> and so it's been very bumpy. But, um, well, a few things pop into my mind. First of all, I just want to say something in general about this whole thing of letting go because what I've tried to do in coming out of retreat is is just let it is just let the the flow of experience happen without just let it rip, you know, <laughs> let it flow, and not try to uh, get stressed around or contracted or not have a place for it to stick, right? With you know sometimes successful and sometimes not. I think what can happen in the, in the letting go, when we talk about letting go, sometimes are not clinging. I notice for myself, I sometimes fall into a place where I think the letting go, I'm trying to let go of whatever's causing the suffering so then the actual experience will calm down. So, there's, so say I have anger, for example, or whatever, anything. There's a place where if you say, okay, I need to let go, I think it can be a mistake to think that letting go is letting go of whatever I'm angry about so this anger will go away. That actually is one level. And the Buddha talked about, I won't go into it now, but these sort of five different stages in how to deal with uh, difficult or challenging uh, 
experiences. And so that's one of them is, is that you try to let go of the what's fueling it. Right. So if someone did something I didn't like, you know, let it go. Don't worry about it. And the anger can subside. And if that works, that's great. But there can be contained within the letting go an element of get rid of. It's not really letting it's letting go to get rid of. I want the anger to go away or this difficulty to go away. So another kind of, I think, almost deeper level of the letting go, switching the language a little, is almost a letting be. So that I'm using the example of anger. I don't have to get rid of it. I don't have to change it. I don't want to get caught in it. And I don't want to say, well, I'm angry and this is how I am. And so I'm fueling it or get some kind of like I'm right. And so try to keep it going. But I don't have to make it go away either. I can just let there, that be what is actually the experience in the moment and let it be. That actually, ha- And so I'm trying to work like that on retreat. So when it's bumpy, I'm not trying to um, make it not bumpy is the way I've been trying to work. Now, what's been helping is I've been sitting a fair number of hours a day, which helps, does help smooth it. And so that's that kind of tension arc, I think, between these two points of allowing ourselves to actually be peaceful and calm, that the actual experience is peaceful and calm and more at ease. And the other place of the experience is not peaceful and calm at all, but it's finding an equanimity or peace with, so there actually is a different kind of peace, even though the experience is not peaceful. Because it's not a resistance to anything. It's not an identification. It's the actual, because anger or bumpiness is just as empty as, you know, sitting in meditation when you really feel like you're opening up into the, you know, this is, it's really happening now. I'm seeing deeper. They're all, they're the same. They're both empty. Right? So the deeper level, and this is one thing that Joseph was really helping with, me with a lot, the deeper reality is not any particular experience or state. The deeper reality is actually is contained right in that, what they call it letting go or not clinging or not identification, whatever the experience. And that, I mean, I only know, you know up to a certain point but that that is the place where the, the Dharma then reveals itself, which is contained in any experience. And it's through that not identification, not clinging in any moment that that Dharma can be revealed. I'm kind of getting going off here. But Thank you. Is that kind Thank of? you. I'll just say this. I had actually a, one day I was... Uh, I guess it's kind of embarrassing, but I was, um, so I was meditating. I was in my room and sitting there. And sometimes the difficulties could come and I could work with them. But whatever it is about sometimes, just what it, you know, you can work with it and see it a hundred times. Just that one time the mind got caught and I was struggling. I just sat there and, I, you know, if you had seen me in the room, you would have just seen me sitting there calmly and calmly. And then out of nowhere, I just picked up my blanket and I went, damn it, threw my blanket down and I just stomped. I don't know if I look, it felt like I was stomping. I probably was walking. And then it just spiraled down somehow that morning, worse and worse and worse. Things weren't going right. And I just got, the mind just got worse and worse. And it really got in a very foul mood. And I got to a place with this anger and this, um, and I just hated everybody. It wasn't personal. It was all about me. It was all because I was not 
I often find for myself in times when I'm more judgmental, just in general in life towards others, it's when I'm really not okay with myself and the mind, that's the place where my mind has a tendency more to be a little harsher out. out. So this was just an extreme case of that. And, um, I mean, everybody could just go die. Not literally. (laughs) Not literally, but, you know, I just hated everybody. The mind, And so at first... I was trying to kind of, okay, just, all right, just let go, you know, and just, you know, just let it, and trying to, that wasn't working. And then the mind started yelling at myself. It started, you know, the mind with some nasty, disrespectful comment would come from some just totally lovely yogi who was walking by, but, you know, my (laughs) mind was so foul. And then the mind would just yell, Shankman, (laughs) at myself. That doesn't help. And it just got worse and worse. And so finally, I, I was not able to do the different practices to try and make the anger subside. So finally, I was eating lunch. It was just out of control. And I just said, all right, fine. If that's the way you're going to be. We're just going back to the room. And if you want to be that way... I was talking to it. I went in the room. I just said, we're just going to lie here. And you know what? You can just burn. (laughs) But it was great practice because I just lay on the bed and I just let it burn and just felt the pain of how painful that angry and contracted it is. But it's actually, and, and that actually is right in the dukkha in that moment. And just let it burn you to a crisp. And just let it rip. <laughs> and it did, because I just didn't have another, I couldn't work any other way. I didn't know what else to do with it. I don't know if that's always the right way to work. And then it sort of ran its course, and after, I don't know, probably was an hour or two just lying there, and it kind of was gone. And actually, the rest of the day was, was great. It just kind of came and went. And it was amazing. You know, I'd start off the morning, it was just this sitting, great, the, and then you kind of, I was in a heaven realm, you know, or whatever, and then it kind of, you're just in hell, and then that came and went, and then you're back in heaven, and you get to see that these things come and go, and you just got to relax around it all, right? They're just all coming and going. And, and you can see that in this engaged life, or this is what you're working with. Well, yeah, and I th- sure, and of course, you know, every, I think people who practice know that the practice carries with you, and so, um, you know, that's the beauty of uh, the practice, and I'm, you know, uh, you know, I'm just really, I'm really big on sitting practice. I just think it's you don't have to go on retreats, daily practice, whatever. That it really brings that stability that can carry, so that it doesn't mean you don't get caught or lost, but maybe not as much as maybe I used to, or don't stay caught as long as maybe I used to. So I still get caught. Just the other day, I'm um, was. I shouldn't be saying all these things. I, <laughs> you know, I, so I've been back. I think I've been back like about a week from retreat. I'm there. And so I've been in relationship with one person for about um, 10 years, right? And it was really <laughs> amazing for her to be supportive for me to go for so long. And I come back. I'm back for about a week. Something came up. It's just one of our old patterns. The one that just pisses me off every time. <laughs> And she just did something, and I couldn't believe it. I just said, (laughs) 
please excuse my language, but I'm just going to, I just said, God damn it, Cassie, you're pissing me off. <laughs> now, immediately after that, I just kind of woke up, uh, sorry, <laughs> I just got caught. There's nothing to do about it. It just happened. It's an old pattern. It came. And actually, I felt, went through a little time of, of a little mild kind of despair, like, gee, you know, I go off for this 11-month retreat. I'm back for six days. <laughs> you, whatever. It's not even that big of a deal. It's just a, and I have to say, God damn it, you're pissing me off. <laughs> you know, it really reinforced for me is that, like, I personally, I'm not even trying to sit here and tell you, I need a lot of compassion for myself. Because you know what? I'm, I don't know what it is to be fully liberated and free. But, you know, you can meditate a lot of years, do it really hard, come off these big retreats, and, you know, <laughs> you just get it all just... <laughs> anyway. Um, to what you were doing, and uh, if so, how did you approach that? Well, yeah, um, sure, I think everybody goes through different kinds of pain depending on, you know, some people, there were actually people at the retreat who um, did all their meditation lying down in the in the meditation hall. They actually were two people there had these cushions, I mean, these little beds there because they were dealing with some kind of chronic Situations. One person there is actually a friend of mine I know who has to do all of her meditation practically lying down. And so, you know, people deal like that. Um, for myself, I tend to not get a lot of pain. I can sit for a few hours before I start to get much pain coming because you know you just get, you know your joints, ligaments get loosened up. Um, you know. I don't know, to tell you the truth, I don't know if I'm the best person to talk to about working with pain. I, I, I tend to push it away, to be honest with you. You know, we're taught to work with pain, and it's actually a gateway into Nibbana. But um, what I tried to do, so for example, I was going to try, I got to one phase where I'm going to start doing these long sits. I was in, you know, I'm really in deep, and I'm going to, <laughs> I'm just going to sit, and whatever comes up. And I didn't know when I was going to get up. And I had this kind of idealized view that there was going to be the pain. And then there was kind of me sort of over here that could sort of be with that bad old pain over there. So I sat and I never made it past three hours, actually. Um, And it hurt. And I could have kept going, but I didn't want to. And I stopped. And I don't know that I worked with it that well. And I talked to the teachers about it because I was going through a hard time. Like, God, I can't be with pain. And, and I got mixed response from different teachers. Some said, well, you know, be kind to yourself, but try to push it a little. And several teachers told me, um, and Joseph Goldstein in particular uh, said, uh, well, you just don't have to go there at all, you know, if you don't want to. Just see what works. Well, I was trying to get a... Um in some of the retreats that I've done and, and um, in and around with monks with different teachers and listening, was um, try, I was trying to put myself into a parallel of emotional pain as well as physical on the same line, and right. I don't get that, you know, with oh, yeah. what you choose to deal with in yeah. that way. The way I, this is just, I would just say, 
for me, it all comes down to what I mentioned earlier is, is that for any experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, there's a line, if it crosses over that line and gets too strong, it will be too much for us to work with. Regardless of whether we think we should or it's a good idea or whatever, we're just not going to be able to. It's too much mental or emotional suffering or it's too much physical suffering for us. Recognizing that can sometimes be tricky because we're often on one side or the other of that dividing line and don't we think we're on the other side. But if something's too much, then don't bother wasting time and unnecessary suffering trying to work with it. It's gone beyond the ability to stay present and mindful, and so we're just going to get swept away if it's too pleasant or we're going to get crushed if it's too unpleasant. You need to take care of yourself and do whatever is necessary. If it's on the side of the line where we actually can work with it, my own, just as a real general statement, is to try and be present with that. Let the experience be what it is. And just connect right with it as long as it's not causing any damage, like physically, you know, as long as it's not hurting your back or your knee. In other words, if the pain goes away once you get up on the emotional, mental side, I think it's the same thing, but you just have to decide. You know, sometimes the time is, if we're always running away, we never learn to be present with it. We never learn about it, right? So, but if we never allow ourselves to run away, it can get over into this kind of, you know, uh, macho approach that um, I think, first of all, is unnecessary. You know, there's, there's so much suffering anyway. We really, I think, my take on it is we can err on the side of being kind to ourselves. with the compassion and the kindness. Because I really think, at least for myself, I need that a lot. I know talking to people, I think we all just need that a lot. If we err on that side of kindness, whatever that mean, however that shows up, we'll still get plenty of dukkha to work with. Well, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I started going, let's not box anything because it's changing from moment to moment. So it's always, you're always in a state of flux anyway. Yeah, well, let, so there you the, go. So the ultimate in compassion for, yeah, for right. oneself. Thank you. Okay. Are we supposed to end at quarter till, right? So we actually went over about five minutes. So um, uh, the, um, well, you know, I guess, can we just take a minute to do a little, you know, you just usually end with a little meta practice or What I would invite you to do just for this few minutes at the end is to start with um, maybe you might want to think back to what initially brought you to your spiritual practice, whatever that is. You may not have a good sense of it or may not be able to remember or possibly you can, but just try to bring in a sense, you know, what was that? What was that motivation? And I offer that really for two reasons. One is I want to uh, suggest that you uh, carry with you just as much as possible in life uh, 
keep that the living spirit of that motivation alive and to try and stay in touch with it. So as we live our lives, we can that's kind of the touchstone or the foundation that we can always come back to for any action or anything we're doing. Um, is it in alignment with our deepest intentions or aspirations or motivations? But the second thing is also to to see if you can bring a little sense of appreciation for the fact that that you have a, a whatever it is for you, that you have a motivation that wants to maybe cultivate more wisdom or freedom, live in the world with more of a sense of loving kindness and compassion. Whatever the qualities are that, that, that you want to cultivate in your spiritual practice, kindness, to have some appreciation for yourself and just to really feel that. Not everybody has those kind of motivations. And if it's difficult to connect with appreciation for yourself, just to notice that and maybe bring some compassion right there to that place that maybe is difficult. And then, um, if you if you wish, uh, to allow your awareness now to extend um, out from yourself, but to connect with the other people here in the room and just to send out that metta, those kind, loving kindness wishes. And it, it may or may not actually be a, an experience of loving kindness. It could just be um, just a thought or a prayer. And typically, in, you, we use some very simple phrases such as, um, you know, may everyone here be happy. You could just repeat that. May everyone here be peaceful. May everyone here be free from suffering. then you could stay with that or if you'd like, just allowing your awareness to expand out um, into the world and, and, and uh, just to all beings and everywhere in all directions. And typically the, the metta, the loving kindness, is there's a whole list of how it's radiated to beings who are near and far away and in all the directions and those known to us and unknown and, and uh, seen and unseen, those born and, and even those yet to be born. And sending the same wish, wishes, may all beings be happy and peaceful um, may all beings be freed from suffering.
and to end with this uh, prayer from the Metta Sutta. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Good morning to everyone. I hope you have a good day.